Hello, and welcome to the Curious Clubhouse podcast. If you're new to the podcast, as always, this is a weekly podcast where I take you on an informative journey into a specific subject or topic that has helped shape and influence today's pop culture. We're talking about our favorite books, movies, TV shows, and video games. You name it, we're talking about it. And this week, we are on episode four. We are moving right along here. And since we're headlong into October, we are going to talk about the Saw franchise. This is arguably my all-time favorite horror franchise to date. I love the story. I love the villain. I love just about everything about it. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what the Saw franchise is. I'll give you a brief summary of the first three Saw movies. So early spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movies yet, if you're planning on watching them, uh, definitely put us on pause, go check out the first few movies and come back and see us. We'll be here. I'll also take you on a journey into the origin of the Saw franchise, tell you a little bit about the inspirations and ideas for this iconic horror series. We'll talk about the video games and how they compare against the movies themselves. We'll also go over some other properties that exist within the Saw universe. There's quite a few. And lastly, we'll talk about some cool and unusual facts surrounding the Saw franchise. So without further ado, let's jump in here and let's get curious. So what is the Saw franchise? Well, Saul is arguably the greatest horror franchise made, in my opinion. It spans nine films to date, with Spiral being the latest film in the franchise, which stars Chris Rock and a tenth film tentatively titled Saul X for a planned October release in 2023. The franchise itself, for those who may not know, revolves around the Jigsaw Killer, a.k.a. John Kramer, who arguably tortures victims he believes are complacent or guilty in order to make them appreciate their time on Earth and not take their life for granted. I say arguably torture because technically he finds ways for his victims to torture themselves. Jigsaw himself has never murdered anyone in his life. He chooses instead to force his victims to play games by placing them in brutal situations, specifically complex traps that he himself or an apprentice has constructed and designed. These traps can only be escaped by inflicting a tremendous amount of physical and or psychological pain resulting in their death if they don't escape in time. The inspiration for Jigsaw's killings came as a result of being diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor, the loss of an unborn child named Gideon, as well as a failed suicide attempt, which ultimately led John to test other people's will to live. This is a brief summary of the franchise itself. There is a lot to this franchise. Uh, As I said, there are nine movies total, and they just continue to make these movies year after year after year. Now, as of late, they're usually a couple years in between the next installment, but in the beginning, between Saul's 1 through 7, they were pumping out a new one every single year around Halloween. Uh, So if if it was Halloween time, you knew it was going to be Saul to some degree, which I absolutely loved. So now that we know a little bit about what Saul is as a whole, uh, I want to give you a brief summary of a few movies in the franchise. 
specifically the first three movies here. So the first Saw film was James Wan's directorial debut. It centers around Adam Stanhite and Dr. Lawrence Gordon, who awaken inside a decaying bathroom and discover a corpse with a gunshot wound to his head, lying in the center of the room. The corpse is holding a cassette player in one hand and the gun he used to shoot himself in the other. Both Adam and Dr. Lawrence discover a cassette tape in each of their pockets. Adam's tape reveals that he must escape the bathroom, while Dr. Gordon's tape instructs him to kill Adam before 6pm. If Lawrence fails to kill Adam before 6pm, Jigsaw will punish Gordon by instructing his henchman, Zepp Hindle, who at the time, unbeknownst to either Adam or Dr. Gordon, is playing the game as well. Zepp has been instructed by Jigsaw to kill Dr. Gordon's wife, Allison, and his daughter, Diana, if he fails to kill Adam. Meanwhile, thinking Lawrence, aka Dr. Gordon, might be Jigsaw, ex-detective David Tapp is monitoring the Gordon household after he became obsessed with Jigsaw following the death of his partner, as well as hearing the testimony of Amanda Young, who at this time is Jigsaw's only surviving victim. Tap is able to eventually rescue Allison and Diana before Zepp can kill them. Tap chases Zepp underground, all the while the clock ticks closer to 6pm. Dr. Gordon gets restless, and upon hearing Zepp's gunshots on the other end of a cell phone call from Allison, grabs a hacksaw, cuts off his own foot, and then proceeds to shoot Adam. Zepp enters the bathroom where Lawrence and Adam are being held, and is beaten to death by Adam, who survives the gunshot. Shortly after this, Lawrence crawls out of the open door, promising Adam he will get help. It is then that the corpse in the bathroom rises, revealing that he, Jigsaw, has been with them the whole time and walks out of the bathroom, leaving Adam to die. So that is a brief summary of the first movie in the franchise. I remember specifically the first time I ever watched this movie, I did not know what to expect. I did not know what I was getting myself into. Uh, I just know that I was told that I needed to watch it and, and that I would really enjoy it since I loved horror. And boy, did I. Uh, the, this twist at the end of the movie, absolutely incredible. And, you know, even though I gave you a brief summary and you kind of know what that twist is, just talking about it and hearing it from me doesn't do it justice, in my opinion. You definitely want to check these movies out if you haven't already, and as I mentioned before, hopefully if you were planning on watching them, you took that early spoiler warning to heart, uh, because we are going to continue along here, and I'm going to go into the second Saw film in the series. Uh, Detective Eric Matthews, Allison Carey, and Sergeant Rigg discovering a very sick John Kramer, aka Jigsaw, at an abandoned mill. Kramer points out video monitors that reveal eight people, including Amanda Young, who, if you remember, was Jigsaw's only known surviving victim from the first film. Along with Amanda is Detective Matthews' son, Daniel, trapped in a house. According to Kramer, the group has two hours to escape before the house fills with nerve gas, killing everyone inside. However, Kramer promises that if Matthews will sit and talk with him, the detective will find his son in a safe and secure place. Matthews agrees to these terms in order to give the police time to trace the video feed. Meanwhile, inside the house, one of the victims, Xavier, realizes that each victim has a number on the back of their neck and begins hunting the other occupants in order to discover their numbers, which Xavier assumes represents the combination to a safe that contains an antidote for the poison they are all inhaling. 
The victims are killed off in a variety of ways, including, but not limited to, death by slit wrists due to a box trap, death at Xavier's hand, as well as by the nerve gas running its course among the other escapees. Eventually, ultimately ends up killing Xavier with a hacksaw, uh, excuse me, Eventually, only Daniel, Amanda, and Xavier remain. When Xavier comes for Daniel and Amanda, Daniel ultimately ends up killing Xavier with a hacksaw from the previous film. Back at the mill, Matthew sees Xavier advancing towards Daniel and forces Kramer to take him to the house. The two escape by way of an elevator platform, Kramer has been sitting on the whole time. Once they arrive at the house, Matthews is attacked by Amanda Young. It is revealed that she is Jigsaw's protege. Amanda proceeds to, to lock Matthews in the same bathroom where Adam and Dr. Gordon were held in the previous film. It is then also revealed that the events on the video recorders occurred hours before. At the same time, a safe at the mill opens revealing Daniel Matthews alive and unharmed, and as Jigsaw said, in a safe place the entire time. So, you know, I again, these movies, as you continue to go forward, as you continue to watch them, they continue to build and build and build and get more intense, which I absolutely love. And the great thing, another great thing about these movies, in my opinion, is that you never see what's coming coming like i mean I, I know that's a cliche but you don't i mean they're just so surprising and they kind of come out of left field in terms of their story and their plot twist which is great and if you haven't put it together already these movies are all connected so they connect to one to the other and i love a good a good connected plot thread so moving on here we're going to talk a bit about the third chapter in the Saul franchise and in the third chapter, the Saw franchise picks up with Eric Matthews attempting to escape from the bathroom he was left in from the previous film. He manages to escape his captors. Later, Lieutenant Rigg, as well as Detectives Allison Carey and Mark Hoffman, investigate a pair of Jigsaw murders that feature inescapable traps, which is outside Jigsaw's normal M.O. Meanwhile, Jeff Denlin, a father whose son was killed by a drunk driver, is put through a series of tests. Given the choice of either saving or allowing the deaths of a group of people involved in his son's death and or the subsequent DUI trial, these include a witness who refused to testify, a lenient judge, and the drunk driver responsible for the accident. In addition to Jeff's game, his wife Lynn Denlin, a doctor suffering from depression, is tasked with keeping John Kramer, aka Jigsaw, alive, who is now in the late stages of complications from his cancer until Jeff's game is complete. Amanda Young oversees both games. However, as time passes, Amanda grows increasingly distressed as Kramer's love for her comes into question, and despite the fact that Jeff's trials are over, Amanda refuses to let Len go, claiming that no one truly changes. Amanda reveals that she has designed her trials to be inescapable, punishing the victims. Amanda then attempts to kill Len. Jeff, who is now in the room with Jigsaw, sees Lynn in danger and shoots Amanda. As Amanda dies from her gunshot wound, Jigsaw reveals that he was testing Amanda, not Lynn. He unknowingly tasked her with helping someone stay alive, a test which she failed. Kramer unknowingly, excuse me, Kramer, aka Jigsaw, then offers Jeff one final test. If he forgives Kramer for the pain he has caused Jeff's family, Kramer will save his family. Or Jeff can kill Kramer, 
though his family will suffer for it. Jeff ultimately chooses to slash Kramer's throat, which is a mistake. Before dying, Kramer reveals that he was the only person who knew the location of Jeff's daughter and that Jeff will have to play another game to find her. When Kramer finally dies, the device attached to his wife Lynn detonates, killing her in front of Jeff. And that is a brief summary of the first few films in the franchise. And as you can tell from those summaries, those twists, man, they just keep getting more and more intense. And the plot threads just keep getting more complex, more interconnected, which I absolutely love. I love a good horror series that does that. And another series, you know, if you love the Saw franchise, if you love James Wan's work, I'm going to go ahead and recommend another series for you to check out, that being the Insidious franchise. I won't go into detail because we'll get a whole episode on that as well. So keep an ear out for that. Uh, So now that we know a bit about a few of the stories within the franchises themselves, and like I said, these first few movies... You know, don't do the story justice. Like I said, there's nine movies in this franchise to date, and they're still making them. So definitely check the rest of those films out. And so now that we've talked a little bit about that, I want to switch our attention and turn to the origin of Jigsaw and tell you a little bit about the ideas and inspiration behind this long-running iconic horror franchise. So the origin of Saw begins a little like this. Leigh Whannell, the writer for the first three Saw films, got the idea for John Kramer's character from a real-life experience at the hospital. In an interview with the AV Club, Wanell says that when he was 24, he began to have serious migraines. Fearful of something serious like a brain tumor, he eventually went to the hospital to get a series of tests performed, including an MRI. Then, the initial idea for Jigsaw came to him. He thought of a psychopath that was told they were going to die of a terminal illness. Instead of a doctor telling you, you have a year to live, make the best of it, this guy would put people in a situation and say, you have 10 minutes to live. How are you going to spend those 10 minutes? Are you going to get out of it? Basically, will you live or will you die? So that's a bit about the origins of Jigsaw, the villain himself, and how 1L came up with the idea for it, which I thought was really interesting. You know, he himself is experiencing head problems, so he goes to the hospital to get it checked out. Everything came up clean, thank goodness, and ultimately it led us to this incredible villain that we now have within the Saw franchise. So moving forward here, I want to talk about Zep's origin story, where the idea for Zep came from. And if if you recall, Zep Hindle is the henchman of Jigsaw from that first franchise, the man who also helps him kidnapped Adam and Dr. Lawrence Gordon, or at least that's initially what we're led to believe. Uh, So Zep, a character from the first Saw film, who is forced to help Jigsaw carry out his kidnappings, was inspired by a bizarre true story that James Wan read when he was younger. And this story I thought was pretty interesting, if not a little humorous. Saul Saul is sort of based on a true story, due in part to this. It's centered on a man who is breaking into people's houses at night, not to steal, but to tickle their feet, if you can believe it. (laughs) So weird. Really, really odd. Oddly enough, there are more than a few real-life serial tickler 
crime cases out there. The man was eventually caught, and during interrogation, he told police that he was being forced to do it by someone else. He later revealed that he was sent a jigsaw puzzle piece in the mail instructing him to commit the acts. So just super, super weird in my opinion. Not a serial killer, not somebody that's stealing some things from people, but a tickler of all people. This guy is breaking into people's houses and he is tickling people's feet. Like, that is so weird to me. And also really just uncomfortable <laughs> to read or think about. And his excuse for this was that he was being sent a puzzle piece, instructed to do so. So weird. But ultimately, also cool because it led to you know, the Saul's franchise that we have today. So that's just a little bit about the origin of the Jigsaw character himself and Zepp's origin story himself, you know. And I just, I wanted to touch on those because A, the Zepp origin story was just weird. And like I said, I love the Jigsaw villain. I love John Kramer, you know, so I wanted to know what his origin story was, where the idea for him came from, you know, and I was not disappointed. So moving along here, I want to turn our attention to the video games, the Saw video games. Now, I have played both of these video games. They are absolutely great. Uh, they came out a few years ago, well, several years ago now, for the PlayStation 3, the Xbox 360, and of course, the first game was released for PC as well. And the games themselves are really cool, as we'll see here. The first Saw game follows Detective David Tapp, a character from the first Saw film that we touched on. Tapp's Kanan fate was expanded on and explored in the Saw games, which I absolutely loved. It was one of the things that drew me to the games initially. Developed by Zombie Studios, set between the first two Saw films, the first Saw game sees Tapp tested by the Jigsaw Killer, who attempts to teach the detective a lesson on obsession through various life-or-death puzzles. The plot of the first Saw game is pretty close to the story explained in Saw 4, where another detective is put through a test due to obsession over finding Jigsaw. And that's kind of just an overview of the first Saw game. It is very, the, the visuals are very well done. The story is very, very good. The traps within the game are very well thought out. And the, the atmosphere is just very, very intense. Now, I actually still have those first two games for PlayStation 3. I haven't been able to play them because I don't own a PS3, uh, but I would love to get back into them. So if you watch the movies and you love the movies or you love the franchise like I do and haven't played these games, definitely check them out if you're able to because they are absolutely fantastic and they lend to the story of the franchise overall at least for those first couple of films so moving right along here saw 2 flesh and blood follows a very similar premise though this time its focus is on detective tap's son who is obsessed with his father's suicide and the interesting about thing about this is if you want the story of jigsaw and has it and as it pertains to Tap's son, Saul 2, the video game, is the only way to get that story. He is not alluded to nor mentioned in any of the movie. Both Saul games feature multiple endings that change depending on the player's actions, which is another really cool thing about these games, is because the games feature multiple endings, it forces you to play the games all the way through twice, if not more. Which I, you know, which is really cool. I'm all for that. I played the games multiple times and I loved getting to experience the entire game through to get both endings. Saw 2 Flesh and Blood reveals that David Tapp 
canonically escaped from Jigsaw's traps in the first game, only to take his own life before the second game. Uh, so really, really cool, really, really interesting. Gives you a little bit of a deeper dive into the stories of those first couple of movies. So now that we've talked a little bit about the games and how they kind of compare to the movies and further that story, let's jump ahead here to some other properties related to the Saul universe. And there's quite a few of them here. And there's some interesting ones that I really, really enjoyed. So some other properties along with the video games that we touched on just now. The Saul universe also includes, you guessed it, comic books. Because why not? Like I said, anything that has to do with pop culture. Honestly, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Anything that we touch on and or discuss here, most likely there's probably going to be a comic book attached to it, as I've mentioned in previous episodes. So a comic book prequel to the original film titled Saul Rebirth released to promote Saul 2, it's canonically was later, it's cana, ugh, I don't know how to pronounce this word. Conicity, I think is how you pronounce that, was later contradicted by events in Saul 4. It is, however, the first canonical appearance of Jigsaw's wife, Jill, who was later introduced into the film series in Saul 3 and established still canonical elements of Jill's backstory. Now, I myself have not read this comic book. I have seen the cover and I've looked into buying it. I may end up buying it eventually and reading it because it sounds like it would be an interesting read. But yeah, apparently it does touch on Jill's wife. But even if you don't read it, again, she is introduced later on in the series and you do get a bit of her story. Actually, quite a bit of it. So don't worry if you haven't read the, the book. Uh, you, you'll still get enough of it from the movies. But moving right along here, let's talk about theme park attractions. There are quite a few of them here. Saul the Ride is a... Gerstaller Euro Fighter Roller Coaster, themed around the franchise, which opened in March 13, 2009, at Thorpe Park in United Kingdom. It features an enclosed dark ride section with special effects before traveling outside and climbing a 100-foot vertical lift hill into a steep 100-degree beyond vertical drop, passing under large saw blades. Thorpe Park also opened a temporary Saw attraction called Saw Movie Bites for their 2009 Fright Night event. Thorpe Park also added a preeminent, a permanent year-round live-action horror maze themed around the Saw movies named Saw Alive. It opened at the start of the 2010 season and featured six scenes representing one iconic trap from each movie to date, but is no longer a permanent year-round attraction and it only operated during Thorpe Park's Halloween event called Fright Nights. Until the maze's final year in 2018, the park announced that it would close permanently and not return for the 2019 event. So, I, upon looking this up, I had remembered reading about it prior to doing the research. So upon re-looking re up this information and doing the research, I was kind of bummed that it was no longer there because the ride itself, if you look at pictures of it, does look really, really cool. Now, I actually have no idea what a Gerstaller Eurofighter roller coaster is. I, I did not look that up. I probably should. Uh, but yeah, if you are interested in finding that out, uh, definitely look it up, uh, you know, and email us at thecuriousclubhouse at gmail.com. Let us know what that consists of, because I am kind of interested to see what kind of a roller coaster that is in a bit more detail. 
but yeah, th just the fact that they had this really cool park and they had this ride surrounding it, I thought was really fascinating. You know, plus the maze and everything. Uh, it's just kind of a bummer that we can't still go and experience this for ourselves as it's no longer a thing, unfortunately. So moving on here into the properties. Saw Game Over was a 2009 horror maze made by Universal Studios for Halloween Horror Nights based on characters, traps, and scenes from the films. At the Universal Studios Hollywood rendition of Horror Nights, it was titled Saw Game Over, while at Universal Studios Florida rendition, it was simply titled Saw. So, of course, you know, this is not a huge surprise to me. Due to the Saul's the Saul film's nature, due to their nature for horror and graphic gore, why wouldn't you have some haunted mazes and haunted houses with the Saul themes? You know, and I hope that in the future they do come back with another Saul-themed haunted house somewhere and that I'm able to go to it. I unfortunately, being the huge massive fan of the franchise as I am, was not able to attend any of these, uh, which again is a bummer because they sound really, really cool. Uh, and again, moving on with this trend, you know, we're in October uh, it's spooky season, as I've been saying, and we're talking about haunted houses here. So I saw a themed haunted house operated during the month of October at Fright Dome in Las Vegas. It featured interactive handcrafted replicas of the game set by Jigsaw. It was introduced in 2009 and partnered with Lionsgate and Twisted Pictures. And expanding on this, in 2018, Saw themed escape room called Saul Escape Las Vegas, was made by the creators of Fright Dome. It is officially licensed by Lionsgate as well. So we've got a haunted, a Saul-themed haunted house in Las Vegas, and we've also got an escape room in Las Vegas. Now, the escape room, prior to doing this episode, I was aware of. It's actually popped up on my Facebook page uh, several times, encouraging me to buy tickets, uh, which I will eventually do because I have always wanted to go to Las Vegas. Apparently, I did go when I was younger, but of course, I don't remember it. Uh, so definitely going to go back there, going to check out this escape room because it looks and sounds awesome. Uh, if anybody that has listened listening to this has been to that Saul escape room or was a part of that haunted house, uh, please email us at thecuriousclubhouse at gmail.com and let us know. You know, tell us about it. I would love to get some more information about it. Love to get a general sense of what I'd be walking into if I do indeed decide to go check this out. So moving right along here, Saul Mania was a fan event in New York. Event goers were able to meet actors and directors and view props used in the films. So Saul Mania, Saul Mania sounds like a giant comic convention for Saul Maniacs, Saul fans, uh, which of course is exactly what it was. And I, I think that's awesome. You know, I hope they bring that back. I hope they do that again at some point in the future, especially since we're still getting Saul movies. You know, we're, they're still pumping them out. And I'm the type of person, I love this series so much, you know, that most people would think, you know, ah, just let it die already, you know, stop releasing films. But I disagree. I love it. I love everything about it. I think every new franchise that they come out with, or excuse me, every new entry in the franchise that they come out with, I think has something great about it. There's some great new story that's being told within this franchise. And the, the latest film, Spiral, does exactly that. You know, rather than expand on the current timeline of the main films, it actually branches out and tells a whole new story set within the universe of Saul, which, you know, if I'm not mistaken, is looking to expand out into a TV series and other uh, spinoff films of that nature, which I hope is the case. Because in my opinion, the more Saul we get, the better. So moving on here, 
toys, of course, merchandise, you know, everything has a toy these days, it seems like, especially if it has anything to do with pop culture. There are a number, there are a number of Saul-themed toys, such as Billy the Puppet dolls, jigsaw figures, costumes, pig masks, figurines, and masks overall. Uh, so definitely a lot of Saul-themed things, Saul-themed things there to choose from. Man, I cannot talk today. Sorry. Uh, so if you love Saul, you know, it's Halloween time. I've always wanted to dress up as Billy the Puppet from Saul, but I have a hard time finding a costume that fits. Uh, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so yeah, tons of toys, tons of figurines, tons of things related to the Saul universe uh, out there to choose from. Uh, you know, and so that's just a few of the properties that I found most interesting when I was doing the research. Uh, you know, but there are there are a lot more out there. You know, like I said, Saul is now heading into its 10th film for a 2023 release date of next year. So we're not in any way, shape, or form... Ah, oh, I can't talk. In any way, shape, or form slowing down. Uh, but moving right along here into this episode, uh, I want to close everything out and leave you here with, of course, some curious and cool, unusual facts. So the first Saul movie, fact number one, was filmed in only 18 days. And that, to me, is insanity, in my opinion. 18 days, and that's all it took to film one movie. But I get it to a point of the Saw movies do not cost very much to make. Uh, They cost very little, uh, usually within the $5 to $15 million mark, if I'm not mistaken, mistaken. And they're so popular that they usually double or triple that small budget. You know, so they're easy to make, uh, you know. But I did read that within the first six to seven films when they were pumping them out uh, one film a year, apparently it was very stressful, you know, and I could see you only got 12 months to make to make a new Saw film, and while the first film only took 18 days, apparently as the films got on, they just got more and more difficult to make, so I could see where that could be very stressful to get a new movie out uh, by each subsequent October. Uh, nowadays, with the new franchises, they usually go a couple of years prior to making them. However, I am excited this next film in the franchise, Saw X, as it's being tentatively titled, will come out in October of next year. So it's nice to know that we're getting back to those October release dates, even if it's not uh, on a year-to-year basis. Uh, Moving right along here, fact number two, the creation of the franchise was influenced by the low-budget approach of the Blair Witch Project. Now, I did not know this initially, but I loved the Blair Witch movies. I, l- let me rephrase. I loved the first Blair Witch movie and the latest movie in the franchise, Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, I was not a huge fan of. I thought it was poorly well done, or excuse me, poorly done, and they could have should have just not made it at all, in my opinion. But the fact that the Blair Witch series as a whole played an influence in the creation of the Saw films that we have today, I think is really, really cool. Uh, Fact number three here, the film was originally going to be filmed through the perspective of a security camera in an elevator, which I thought was very interesting. Um, I believe that I have watched another movie that takes place on an elevator, and I believe that it's called Elevator. Uh, I could be wrong, but I believe that's what it's called. Uh, Who could have thought? Uh, So yeah, I just thought it was interesting that we almost got a very different movie from that first initial film that we have today. Another interesting fact here, two other concepts almost won out over the movie that we have today. One was for an idea for a movie about astral projection, 
The second one was an idea about a guy who goes to sleep at night and wakes up in the morning with scratches on himself. He notices that something weird is happening to him at night, so he sets up video cameras while he sleeps. This idea was many years ago, long before movies like the Paranormal Activity franchise. Because if you've ever watched the Paranormal Activity series, you know that they lean heavily on that recorded camcorder aspect of filming while they sleep. So, yeah, we definitely, you know, with those two interesting facts there, we definitely almost had a very different type of Saw film in those early days. Definitely glad they went the direction they did. Uh, fact number five, there were no rehearsals for filming Saw. So most movies nowadays, you know, they have a rehearsal. They practice, you know, so they, they can ensure that they get everything as perfect as they can by the time it's time to release the movie. Well, the Saw movies were the exception. They didn't have rehearsals while filming that first Saw film. It was a one take. It was a one and done. And if I may say so, they did a fantastic job. You know, it's insane to me to think that they went and didn't rehearse this stuff and they just went hardcore straight into it. Uh, we ended up with a fantastic film uh, regardless. And finally, the sixth and final fact here, the original concept for Saul, uh, in the original concept for Saul, there was no jigsaw. Uh, so apparently the original concept that they came up with did not include a jigsaw villain. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what it did include, uh, like I said earlier with a couple of those other facts, you know, the original con there was a concept for an ele with it being filmed in an elevator and obviously with a guy filming himself while he slept. So yeah, I'm not surprised that those earlier drafts didn't include Jigsaw. But again, as I said, I am glad that we got the final product in the franchise that we have today and that we have that Jigsaw killer because Jigsaw himself is a bulk of the franchise he makes up the franchise and i love the villain of jigsaw i love john kramer i love his story it's very in-depth it's very gritty uh and that's it guys uh that is uh episode four of the curious clubhouse you know that is all things saul or at least a brief overview of the franchise and i hope you enjoyed it i absolutely love this franchise and like I said, you know, if you haven't watched the movies, I encourage you to do so. Uh, I think that you'll enjoy them. You don't necessarily need to be a horror addict or love horror to enjoy these movies. However, I will say, you know, just giving you guys a heads up, they are a little heavy on the gore. You know, so if you're not a big fan of gore, you know, I can understand why you've probably avoided them, uh, you know, up to this point. Uh, but that's it, guys. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. You know, as always, uh, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. Again, I always mention it because it is so important. It helps this show get noticed by other people and helps push me up the charts. And, you know, specifically with Apple Podcasts, even if that's not your player of choice, you know, consider please going on there, writing a review about the show because that helps tremendously. And also, you know, if you have any questions about past episodes or about this episode or even uh, topic suggestions for future episodes that you'd like to hear, uh, please send those in at the curiousclubhouse at gmail.com. And as always, check out our Facebook page. We have some really cool and interesting pop culture topics and subjects that you might be interested in checking out. 
So once again, guys, thank you and look forward to next week, you know, as we dive into episode five and it will be on October 28th, right before Halloween. And that episode, of course, we will be diving into the Halloween film franchise. I'm super excited for that episode as well. Uh, So keep an ear out for that. And as always, stay curious.